show, everybody, on Wednesday morning. That means it's a grade the trade day on Fantasy Baseball today. Scott traded Cody Bellinger. We'll give it a grade, and we'll, of course, grade your trades because that's what you're here for, not Scott's trades. Adam Azer, Scott White, and Chris Towers today, and reminding you that sports trades are scary. One person can be replaced by another, exchanged for money, or given away for a hypothetical future person. And once they leave your team, you can't like them anymore, even if you have their jersey, which you can't wear anymore. Except at B-dubs. They won't judge, but others might. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Welcome to the trade show, guys. Good morning. Hey. How you guys doing? What's going on? You know, I already told you I'm fired up today, so. It's, It's a good day. It is a good day. The Knicks it's, are getting rid of, the Knicks are getting rid of Phil. Yeah, whatever. After, you know, three weeks after picking up their mutual option for two more years. So <laughs> Phil Jackson gets $24 million out of the deal. It's pretty nice. Oh my uh, God. Can't knock that hustle. My sports teams are terrible, but at least fantasy is doing okay. Hey, the only team I care about is the Marlins. So I don't want to hear anything. Okay. You're, uh, it was an interesting night for pitching last night. It was a very interesting night for yeah. pitching yeah. last night. Yeah. A lot of, Big performances from pitchers who uh, either we were on the fence about or maybe we were just a little over the fence on them. Lots to talk about today. All right, Can I with give it. you my favorite pitching stat from last night? Yeah. All right, so you know how Ivan Nova is a good pitcher? He has a 3.06 ERA. He's been very good since getting to Pittsburgh. Sure. Yeah. He doesn't have a single start with more than 10 swing strikes this year. Luis Severino had 10 in the first two innings yesterday. <laughs> wow. And he couldn't Severino, even get the win. That Severino stat is fiery. Yeah, he pitched great. He's, the, he's so good. The White Sox are a really good matchup right now. The last two starts for Severino weren't so great, but overall we certainly believe in him. Um, and you are down on the Yankees. You're diminishing <laughs> your own star's accomplishment. Well, I think, you know, with Severino, he's been a touch up and down lately. His, oh, yeah, that's, who isn't a touch up and down I agree. starting pitcher? We, I totally, everybody's on board with Severino. Um, okay. I just All hate right. the Yankees. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which other pitchers, like Scott White was tweeting about Sean Newcomb. Sean, not Sean Newcomb's on the brain for Scott White. Yeah, do, do you want to say he was facing the Padres and they're a good matchup always? He was facing the Padres. Yeah, no, that's true. He was facing the Padres. But he didn't uh, face the Padres previously oh. has been very good. Who did he face in his last start? Who did Sean Newcomb face in his last start? The no Giants. Idea. Giants are terrible. Playoff aspirations. <laughs> they are the worst team in baseball. You're the worst team in Actually, baseball. Actually, I think Sean Newcomb's really interesting. So he's 68% owned. He threw six scoreless innings with one walk and eight strikeouts. His previous yep. start was six innings, uh, one run ball with three strikeouts against the Giants. Only 68% on, but listen to this quote from Andy Green, San Diego's manager. Quote, that was the largest strike zone I have seen against our guys behind home plate. Newcomb threw the ball very well, but Tyler Flowers is the player of the game in my mind. He is snatching balls above the zone, below the zone, and bringing them back in and getting a strike on all of them. He is... Considered one of the best pitch framers, Tyler Flowers, which is why I was uh, not so interested in the Braves pursuing Matt Weeders this offseason. But, you know, this is four good starts for Sean Newcomb now. This was the best of the four, uh, and it was, again, it was with the best matchup of the four. But, I mean, any pitcher beginning his career with four good starts and with, with a good number of swings and misses and without 
the one real issue he had in the minors, which was uh, control issues. We have we haven't seen those pop up. He had four walks in the start against the Marlins, I guess, but overall it hasn't been nearly the concern we suspected it might be. And uh, I think he's he should be must own. I'm. There's been some question this week about whether or not he'll make a second start. I don't. Some. I, I have not heard anything about Bartolo Colon starting tonight. I have. He is. He is. Where Where did you see that? In the Associated Press recap, they said Bartolo Colon is starting today. Okay. Well. And you know, looking at a uh, baseball savant's strike zone, he probably got four. Uh, pretty generous called strikes. Uh, actually, I don't know if they were even called strikes. They could have been swing strikes. There were four pitches way outside of the zone. But for the most part, it doesn't look like he had that generous of a strike zone. Well, I guess if he's gonna be, if he's gonna have some control issues, Sean Newcomb, it's nice to have the catcher that he has, which is also why I brought up the quote. Yeah. But, uh, it says in the story that Bartolo Colon is expected to come off the DL and start Yeah, there's today. a story on him on MLB.com about him getting one last chance today. Scott, I will give you Sean Newcomb and Tom Murphy for Jonathan Lucroy in a two-catcher roto league. Sean Newcomb Ooh. and Tom Murphy? Yeah. That's basically that's basically Sean Newcomb for Lucroy straight up. Yeah. I don't, right I don't now, think I'm gonna Murphy's do not playing very much, but we we all think he could be very good someday. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not sure that day will be soon enough for me to. Uh, I do have give up a superior catcher. I do have some concerns about Sean Newcomb and his long term viability right now, just because he's mostly been a two pitch pitcher. Um, he's only thrown eight changeups in four starts. The sliders not really been a big part of his arsenal either. He's mostly been forcing fastball and curveball. And for lefties, that can be a concern because you do have to have, you do need that pitch that can neutralize, uh, the platoon split. So we'll see how that goes once the league starts to catch up to him. That's a potential red flag, but he should be 100% on at this point. I'm so bummed Cologne is starting tonight. You don't know how many people on Twitter I told, I, I assured <laughs> that Newcomb was making two starts this week. Nah. Because every time, like every time I looked up Bartolo Cologne Wednesday on Google, I got references to him, his start that was supposed to happen last Wednesday, but then he gets suffered another injury, and it was like, <laughs> who knows when he's going to start again? You know what? So I don't know how all these probable pitcher tools out there knew he was starting Wednesday, but nobody was reporting it. Yeah, but he now all of a sudden he is. Newcomb, look, you got a really good start from him. You, you're not even going to complain about the one start week, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can be happy about that. Uh, I guess I just still can't fully get over the concerns about the control because it was so pronounced in the minor leagues. And like Brandon Finnegan, you know, like Finnegan had that, Finnegan only had one great start to start, start the season. It was against the Phillies, seven scoreless, one hit, one walk, nine strikeouts. That was his first start. And then his control went awry and then he went on the DL. But yes, Newcomb, yes, yes. Nobody's giving Sean Newcomb Rookie of the Year or Cy Young, but he's sixty six yeah, percent owned or something like yeah, that. Like we don't need to be that critical with the guy who's so widely available. Oh, yeah. Just pick him up, see where it goes, because it seems like it's heading a good direction. You have to have a pitcher you're okay dropping. Yeah, look, Newcomb, I would definitely own, but I'm going to try to trade him to Scott. So uh, <laughs> we have a Reddit AMA. <laughs> we have a Reddit AMA today. Reddit.com slash r slash fantasy baseball, 2 p.m. Eastern. If you have any questions that we don't get to on the show, feel free to hop on to Reddit and, uh, we'll try to, uh, answer your questions. The only thing you have to do for us is spread the word about our podcast. Tell your friends, help us grow, 
And uh, obviously, we've grown a lot over the seven or eight years that we've done this, but we want to be number one. I think we're already number one in fantasy baseball. We want to be number one overall. All right, fantasy in the world. Fantasy football today for you, S Town. That would be good for baseball, I think. If we were number one, the number one podcast in the world, a fantasy baseball podcast. Serial S Town. We might all of them down. Improve the whole sports popularity. I don't know how I feel about S Town. S Town was good, but really, just had no point. It went like ten different directions. Yeah, I haven't listened to it. Oh, okay, I won't get into it. I just know it's a thing. Scott traded Cody Bellinger. Scott, what'd you give up for Cody Bellinger, or what'd you what'd you get for Cody Bellinger? I gave up Cody Bellinger and Addison Russell because I was taking the guy's shortstop away. I was taking Francisco Lindor away. Yeah, in a, in a shallow league. So you know, if I didn't trade Russell, I would have dropped Russell. It's basically Cody Bellinger straight up for Lindor. Chris, grade the trade. You, you probably have to do that. Um, I think it's like a B minus. Okay. All right, Scott. I don't love it. Good job. I like it. I think B is fair. Is he's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That's a big upgrade at shortstop. I don't expect to make unfair trades. Oh, I do. I, <laughs> I, it's worth noting I probably tried to, with five different owners to get a pitcher, a high end starting pitcher back for Bellinger. And they would, they just weren't having it. People were holding so tight to their pitchers. Yeah. Uh, I didn't try, I, I considered offering them straight up to Heath for Cueto, but I figured Heath would reject it just on principle. So I, I went for a guy who showed some interest, but didn't want to give up necessarily a great pitcher and thought he had Lindor. That was, that was, that would fill a need for me because Addison Russell, I, in a shallow league, I'm just not sure he's going to help me that much. Have so I was you happy seen to do it. Lindor's stats over the last calendar year. Over the last calendar year? 365 days, 157 games. I have not. He's kind of a jag. <laughs> what are you talking about? He has 271 batting average. I'm, I'm just pointing out 271 batting average, 90 runs, 19 homers, 75 RBI, 9 steals. Ooh, that's, that's good. Yeah, it's a lot jag. more than jagged shortstop. It's good. Is it? But it's nine not steals? elite. Only 9 steals? That's right. surprising. Look, you gave it a B-. minus. What? I, I'm just pointing. Look, don't don't shoot the messenger. I'm not shooting the messenger. I'm I am you. You cannot make me feel bad about this trade, no I just, matter how hard you try. You know, it, it's. Do you think Cody Bellinger is going to regress? Yes. Okay. Well, look. Here's the thing. Uh, this was a points league that Scott pulled this trade off in. Counts walks, strikeouts, doubles, and Lindor is the number six shortstop in points, number eleven in Roto. He's got yep. twenty-one doubles. That's been a big strength for him this year. Mm-hmm. And good plate discipline as well, but only three steals all year for Francisco Lindor. That's weird. Now remember, a lot fewer singles this year because of all yep. the doubles, but three and steals. the home runs and the home runs. All right, let's move on. Here's a grade the trade teaser. I want to read uh, a lot of grade the trades later in the show, but here's a teaser, and I'm going to tell you after this what's coming up on today's show. Spike Harris, give Travis Shaw, get Eric Thames. Grade the trade. Give Travis Shaw, get Eric Thames. Now, Shaw, of course, is third base and first base eligible, but if you just look at first base, Shaw's a top eight first baseman. Thames is 12th in points, 14th in Roto. So give it a grade. You give up Shaw, you get Thames. I give it a a B minus. Yeah, I was thinking like a C plus, which is basically a B minus. Okay, again, not disagreeing here. I bring stuff up doesn't mean I disagree. Mm-hmm. 
Tell me why, at this point, halfway through the season, why is Shaw not better than Eric Thames in your ranking? Well, we both probably need to move Shaw above Thames in our rankings if we're thinking this is a good trade for the guy getting Shaw. No, no, no. The guy's getting no, Thames. I, I was answering for uh, getting Thames. Okay. Yeah, yeah getting I, think it's a, I think it's a C- then. I, I'd rather have Thames than Shaw. I, I think it's the better overall package, certainly better plate discipline, and I think there's more raw power there. Um I, yeah, Shaw, I think maybe Shaw just recently passed Thames and is outscoring him now in points leagues, but that's, you know, with, with Thames slumping to the point that he's batting like 245 now. That's going to correct it. I think Shaw has some regression coming, especially with the power numbers. Um, one thing that we liked and a big part of why Heath liked him as a, as a sleeper slash breakout coming into the season was he hit a ton of fly balls. That's a very good thing when you're at Miller Park. His fly ball rate's down to 35% from 45% last season. Now, the home run rate has still held strong, but I don't know how long he can sustain a 22% home run to fly ball ratio. And, you know, if he had 12 home runs right now, we'd probably look at Travis Shaw a lot differently. All right, so one of you, so Chris, you're going to take Shaw over Thames, though, and Scott's going to take Thames over Shaw. I'm probably going to move Shaw just a little bit ahead. All right. Would you take either of them over Jake Lamb? I think I'd still rather have Lamb. Scott? Yeah, maybe Thames in a points league, but that's a close call, and certainly I'd rather have Lamb in categories. Tuesday's standouts. All right, I'm just going to say Curtis Granderson. He's got the second highest OBP in baseball in the month of June. It's 451. He has four home runs in his last six games. He is on fire, and Curtis Granderson is 28% owned. Anybody want to pick him up? I think he has like a 900 OPS since May 1st or something. Since May 1st, wow. I think I, let me check that. He had a 391 OPS on May 1st. Um, <laughs> boy, that's, and terrible. he's up to 791 for the season, so he's probably, right, well, are yeah. you interested? He's Chris? got a thousand OPS since May 1st. Well, are you picking him up? Answer the question. <laughs> nah. You and your, <laughs> oh, so, so you offer this like really optimistic sounding fact. Well, and then you're like, he's, Almost certainly going to get traded soon, right? Within the next month. Um, there's no guarantee. Well, they're not going to trade you on a Cespedes. I mean, if they get, so, like, they're I, gonna I trade, don't know how much value he holds, really. I would assume they're going to trade Jay Bruce. I would assume they're yeah. going to trade Gar- Curtis Granderson. Okay. Cespedes and Conforto are going to be, yeah. going to be there for the long run. Um, and there's no guarantee Granderson gets moved into an everyday role, but in a five outfielder league, Granderson should be owned at this point, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I'd rather have Trey Mancini than him. I'd rather have Tommy Pham than him. I'd rather have Tommy Pham. I'm not uh, sure about Trey Mancini. I'd rather have, yeah, I, I think he might still be just outside of it. Just, you know, outfield being so deep. Do you want to know who a top 10 outfielder over the last 28 days is that is owned in fewer leagues, I believe, than Curtis Granderson? Granderson's, oh, they're about the same. About 28, 30% owned. I would very much like to know. Michael Taylor. Who stole two yep. bases yesterday. We got an actually a good email about Michael Taylor. I'm trying to find out who sent it. But in the meantime, uh, Michael Taylor, do you guys think he is under-owned? He stole two more bases yesterday. Uh, yeah, he's 31% owned. Number 10 in points. Number 8 in roto over the last 28 days with a 304 batting average. Seven homers. Six steals. Three walks. 27 strikeouts. Um, what do you think? Taylor or Granderson? Uh, Taylor because stolen bases are harder to come by. 
Yeah, and yeah, and categories league, maybe Granderson at points, but you know, points are usually smaller lineups and you wouldn't have to reach that far. I don't have a lot of confidence in Taylor sustaining this anywhere close to this really. Babbitt's like 380, 376, yeah. Um, not a particularly high line drive rate or anything like that. So, he's uh he's still a little too wild to sustain a fantasy relevant pace, I think. And the and, Nationals, and I think, stole, coming back soon. I think Nationals so. stole seven bases off of Jake Arrieta yesterday. I think. Yes, uh, they Miguel did. Montero had some he, pretty fiery quotes after the game, basically uh, blaming um, Jake Arrieta for all of the stolen bases. Are you talking about quote of the day number two, which is quote, "It really sucked because the stolen bases go on me, but when you really look at it, the pitcher doesn't give me any time. So yeah, Mickey can't throw anyone out, but my pitchers don't hold anyone on." Uh, wow. Team player. Team yeah. Player. Oh wow, he hasn't had a single stole, caught stealing yet. Thirty-one for thirty-one. Miguel, That's Miguel amazing. <laughs> wow. About his livelihood. But it is the pitcher's Holy fault bleep. too. Except I think Mon- Montero doesn't catch John Lester, so that's not an excuse. John but- Lester picked someone off like two weeks ago. Oh, you, you know, talk- I saw did you guys somebody, see that? I did. I saw somebody tweet out a stat based on this quote. It was a guy named by the name of Al Melkier. Nope. Wire. Yeah, but no, I was right. <laughs> um, so there were seven stolen bases off Arietta and Montero yesterday. Over his previous 15 starts, Arietta had eight stolen bases off him. So seven yesterday versus eight in the previous 15. And part of that's Michael Taylor and Trey Turner are really fast. Yes. Yeah. Turner stole four bases. Taylor stole two. And they, they talked about it after the game. They were like, he's slow to the plate. We, we went on him. Uh, and that brings us to Worryometer Wednesday, which is headlined by Jake Arietta. But let me give you some of the segments that we have coming up. We have Worryometer Wednesday. We'll Ooh. talk about the bullpen with Colome, Cody Allen, Senwano struggling yesterday. We have two top five picks who have much better plate discipline this year and worse results. Um, we'll give you the injuries, news, and notes. I do want to talk about what has worked and what hasn't worked so far this year in terms of strategy, in terms of draft. A lot of fringy starting pitchers like uh, Alex Cobb, Mike Fires, Tyson Ross, Jeff Hoffman, uh, interesting, relevant players. We'll talk about them. Jack Peterson's been crushing it since coming off the DL. And I have a segment in here called Fun with Fangraphs. Chris, are you excited for Fun with Fangraphs? I'm always excited. Well, if, if you want to get fun, more like fun graphs, fun graphs. If you want to get to fun with fan graphs, we got to pick up the pace. Let's do it. Worryometer Wednesday. I'm just gonna give you four pitchers, and instead of going each one by one, you tell me if you are worried long term about any of these four pitchers. Some were good, some were bad. Yesterday, Jake Arrieta, five swinging strikes yesterday. Terrible start. Four sixty-seven ERA. One thirty-six WHIP. And only two starts of more than six innings this year. Jake Arietta. Justin Verlander struggled in the first inning, had some terrible luck, and then he shut down the Royals over the next six innings and ended up with a pretty good start. Uh, that's Verlander. Jose Quintana, four walks but did not give up a run. Only two hits against the Yankees yesterday, and he's been good lately. And James Paxton, I guess a step in the right direction, but a little disappointing. Three runs, three walks, and seven innings against the Phillies. Arietta, Verlander, Quintana, Paxton. Here on Worryometer Wednesday, who are you worried about? I, I mean, I guess you have to be most worried about Jake Arietta. Definitely. Not, I mean, obviously he was the worst yesterday, but um, it's been the worst all season. Yeah, yeah, and, and we keep thinking 
okay, the turnaround's going to happen, and it seems like he's gotten worse. Even even though last start was good in terms of run prevention, the one before this one, he had like three swings, he had like three strikeouts in it, and it was one of his worst velocity starts of the season. So the velocity's been down all year, but I've been giving him a pass for it because the strikeout rate was so good. It seems like the last couple starts that's kind of gone away too and the ground ball rate hasn't come back yeah it's he's I've it's been, worrisome i've been very much on the not worried about jake arietta side of things and i at some point i have to take the evidence in front of me which is that he's been bad for about a year now um and there aren't that many promising signs you know his peripherals suggest that he's a high threes low fours guy uh 417 fip 391 xfip 401 sierra I'm going to be moving him outside of my top 10. That's really not a huge and, deal. Yeah, I might be moving I, him outside of my top 20 or I might 25 be. at this point. Yeah, like are you going Carrasco or Arietta? Carrasco. Carrasco at this point, although he's had his own ups and downs. Uh, well, how many of the other guys on the worryometer list, Verlander, Quintana, Paxton, would you rank ahead of Arietta? Definitely Verlander and Paxton. Yeah, it's, I would still have Arietta ahead of Quintana just because Quintana doesn't have the upside area that it does, but yeah, for now I think I think I'll stick with that. I mean, but Quintana's we've seen, we we saw Justin Verlander turn on a dime last year, yeah. and you know I've I've made the mistake enough over the years of burying a really good player prematurely, so I don't want to completely bury Arietta, but I am as discouraged as I've ever been, and it's very. It's a very good sign for both Verlander and Quintana that they're starting to turn it around because they were two of the guys who were struggling early on. Like Arietta, when he was struggling, or Arietta as he is struggling, we've been like, well, control's still not great, ground ball rate's way down. You have an explanation for it. Verlander and Quintana, you didn't really have an explanation for why they weren't getting good results. And so it's good to see that keeping the faith appears to be paying off. Okay. And with Verlander, I mean, you look at his last start. His last start was three runs in five and two-thirds, but I think he had a no-hitter going into the sixth. Mm-hmm. He had 11 strikeouts, and then uh, I believe his bullpen let him down. So I think it's two encouraging starts in a row, at least, for Verlander. And all right, we'll move on from Moriometer Wednesday. Let's go to the bullpen and see if you're worried about any of these guys. You tell me, are you worried about any of them, first of all, losing their job as closer? Alex Colome, Cody Allen, Senwano. Uh, Allen, I guess, might be the most concerning. Like, this wasn't really a disastrous start uh, appearance. He just allowed a home run. But uh, him introducing the idea of the mixing in Andrew Miller in the ninth inning, Miller's clearly the more effective reliever, and I could see that happening more, uh, particularly if there's another, if Allen's responsible for another loss very shortly after this appearance. The the thing about Colomay and O is there's not really anyone who could take their place. Colome, first of all, I don't think deserves to have his job lost. Yeah. Um, but O's been pretty unreliable all year, just not nearly as dominant as he was a year ago. But Trevor Rosenthal hasn't been very good, and he has durability concerns anyway. There, there's just nobody else for the Cardinals to turn to. Mike Matheny basically said the same thing. And, you know, it's worth acknowledging that a year ago, it was Sengwon Oh who took Trevor Rosenthal's job because Trevor Rosenthal was so underwhelming. Yeah. And I think we've also seen 
I think Trevor Rosenthal's name has been mentioned in some trade rumors as well, so you know that that's a potential outcome as well. Yeah, Rosenthal has been pitching poorly lately, and this was his chance to get that job back as O over his last appearances, O has given up twelve hits, seven runs, and three homers. Column A is Struggling lately, he's given up seven runs in his last three appearances. His ERA has gone up from 195 to 357, so he was having a really great year. But less than a strikeout per inning and one fewer walk this year than last year in 21 and a third fewer innings for Colome. So he's not the dominant. Like He was having a really good year. He's ERA under two, getting a lot of saves. They were a surprisingly solid team. But uh, walk-to-strikeout ratio anyway, not nearly as good as it was last year for Colome. It's true. Yeah. Don't. Don't buy relievers after one year. I guess. Um, okay, very but, risky. I mean, he's still a top fifteen reliever, right? Well, but both him and Sangwano basically yeah. have one good year as a reliever and have one good one year where they've been not nearly as good. New segment: better plate discipline, worse results. And the two players I want to talk about are top five picks: Mookie Betts and Chris Bryant. Now, both of them are better in points leagues because they have. Better plate discipline. But let's look at Betts. Betts was the number one, I believe the number one hitter in fantasy last year. Mm-hmm. This year he's the number four outfielder in points leagues, which still just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like, just don't think he's been that good, but the points are the points. The number 13 outfielder in Roto slash categories leagues. Betts is batting 269, 12 homers, 12 steals, 33 walks, 28 strikeouts, and 25 doubles, which helps in points. Second most doubles in baseball behind Arenado. Um, so that's bets. Chris Bryant is the number four third baseman in points leagues, number seven in Roto, with a two fifty nine batting average, 16 home runs, six steals, 53 walks, 70 strikeouts. Uh, Chris Bryant, his batting average is 33 points lower than it was last year, yet his on-base percentage is even better. K rate's about the same. Walk rate is way up. The BABIP is down. The BABIP is down for both of them. Now, I, here's the difference. That I saw anyway. Tell me, as I'm sure you're looking at fan graphs now. Fun with fan graphs. Mookie Betts appears to be just like so unlucky. Everything seems to be the same, except his hard contact rate is actually up. But the ground ball ratio, all that stuff, it almost looks exactly the same, except the BABIP is way down. So to me, it looks like Bab, uh, Betts is unlucky. Bryant's hard contact rate, 40% last year, 29% this year. So what do you make of better plate discipline, worse results for Mookie Betts and Chris Bryant? The one thing I'm looking at with Mookie Betts, and um, he's become much more pool heavy this season. Pull heavy this pool heavy. Pool heavy, yeah. No, he's loves to swim. That guy. <laughs> and you know, typically you, you're lighter in water, because right? It's more buoyant. But you know what? He hasn't and been waiting the 30 minutes after he's been eating. And that's I the think yeah, getting cramps. There it is. Easy um, fix. And fan graphs. Fun with fan graphs, they have a splits tool where you can look at how a hitter is doing against the shift. And Mookie Betts is hitting 303 against the shift compared to 423 last season. Um, I don't, he's being shifted about as often, so it's not like, you know, that's really a big concern, but that's one potential explanation. He's just, maybe he was a little lucky against the shift last year. Maybe he's been a little unlucky this season. All right, let, let me, let's, let me start over here. Betts and Bryant, let's face it. It's not like they've been bad, right? Yeah. They've been no. fine. But they haven't been MVP caliber. Do you think, do you still see them as MVP caliber, Betts and Bryant? Yes. Yes, and I think both are 
being hurt by the lineups around them as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. They are both top five outfielders for me, and I've never yeah. considered moving them out. And even with these numbers you pointed out, I'm not considering moving them out. I, but Chris Bryant's on pace for less than 70 RBI. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Uh, and both he and Betts scored 120 plus runs and drove in 100 last year. And they're both on pace for about 95 runs. Um, and Brian's on pace for fewer than 70 RBI, which is crazy. That is. I am going to, I mean, part of that is he, Brian usually bets second, Se- right? Lead off or second. Was... And, but that's the lineup around them is not nearly as, cause he was batting second most of last season too. Yeah. He was. I'm, going, was to, third. I'm going to predict that he, his, Hard contact rate goes up yeah. going forward, and also that he does finish with more than 70 RBI. Okay. Like, it's just, like, I see it as, oh, man, he's gotten really burned on RBI before, and look how productive he still is. He's going to have, like, a 25 RBI month at some point. All right, hope so. Because I, I wanted Chris Bryant to be the best hitter of baseball this year, so I was kind of hoping for. And, uh, all right, maybe we'll get in the second half. Let's do some news and notes. And Starlin Castro is on the DL. He's hoping he can come back in 10 days. And uh, Tyler Wade did not start yesterday. They came off the bench. Yasiel Puig gave the double middle finger last month or whenever that was a few weeks ago. And his suspension has been rescinded. But he does have a sore knee and a sore hamstring. And he sat yesterday, Yasiel Puig. Arizona shortstop Nick Ahmed has a small fracture in his hand. There's no rhyme or reason to the order of these news and notes, as you're going to see. Um... They are just random. I forgot to order them. Hanley Ramirez sat again with a knee issue. He was hit by a pitch on the knee on Sunday. John Gray is going to start at Arizona on Friday. Two questions about John Gray. He's 82% owned. One, is he under-owned? Yes. Two, will you start him at Arizona? No. No. Okay. That's John Gray, 82% owned. Tyler Anderson could miss about a month after knee surgery. Jonathan VR and Ryan Braun returned for the Brewers. VR sat... Hernan Perez sat. So you had Domingo Santana, you had Keon Broxton, you had Braun in the outfield, you had Sogard and Arcia in the middle infield, and Sean Thames. Uh, so, yeah, VR, I can see people dropping him soon. Let's see how that plays out. Corey Seager was available to pinch hit yesterday. Bud Black, Bud Black said he would not be, he would be surprised if David Dahl played this season. Which is good, but it also seems to indicate that David Dahl is nowhere near returning. He would be surprised if he did play or didn't play. Sorry, if he didn't play. Okay, yeah. But still. Uh, how a- the hell did this happen? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? what is going? This was like a, oh, well, maybe he'll miss a couple of weeks in spring. Maybe he'll miss the first week of the season. It's, it's basically July. <laughs> I know there's three days left in the month, but it's basically July. Yeah. Uh, and oh, he, like he hasn't even like has he even started swinging a bat? Wait, I I need to talk about something. Thank you for reminding me, Scott. First of all, you just uh-huh. uh you just ranked your top thirty DL stashes. Is is David Dahl on there? No, but he didn't miss by much. Okay, thirty's a lot though. Two <laughs> programming update. Next week is July fourth. I was really in a sour mood until just now when I, rem- when I just reminded myself and everybody, <laughs> we have Monday and Tuesday off next week. Oh my God. Yeah. Doing I got wheels. to be like Santa Claus yesterday telling everybody in, in the, in our department that we're off Monday and Tuesday next week. I knew we were off Tuesday. I didn't know we were off Monday. So yeah. what we're going to do, I think is a mailbag on Friday and air that on Monday and we will not have a show on Tuesday. I do apologize, but enjoy the fireworks. 
Um, quick thing there, so just programming update. Expect a mailbag on Monday. Back to the news and notes. DJ LeMayhew left with a groin cramp. Colorado called up Mike Talkman? Touchman? <laughs> Talk Talkman? I would guess Talkman. Does anybody care? No. No. Okay. I don't think so. I shouldn't have even pronounced his name. Some lineup notes. How about this from your outfield for the and DH for the uh, Rangers yesterday? Delano DeShields, Shinsu Chu, Nomar Mazzara, and Mike Napoli, they all went either 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, and DeShields was caught stealing, so good for them. Uh, Texas catcher Robinson Chirinos hit his 11th home run, which is just not good for Jonathan Lucroy because Chirinos is, is hitting home runs. Still not taking that trade. <laughs> Car- <laughs> I'm just saying, they're probably going to cut Lucroy Scott, they're gonna DFA him oh, soon. Oh wow, <laughs> that, that would probably be good. Yeah, maybe then he'd pick up the team that actually wanted to play him every day. Carlos Santana batted seventh in the Indians' order, the lowest he's batted this year. Although he'd recently been batting six a lot. Manuel Margot came off the DL. He led off for the Padres. Jose Perella batted second. Anyone want Manuel Margot? No, that's probably like Curtis Granderson range pickup, maybe even lower. I do want to uh, mention uh, Carlos Santana. Uh, following up our conversation from last week, he is now, which was points league based. It was a points league based discussion, by the way. He has now outscored Miguel Sano this year. Carlos Santana has. Yeah, well, that doesn't surprise me. And Sano has been cold recently, but it's all about the walks and the strikeouts. But walks uh, are important, Adam. They are, but again, a lot of people don't play in those leagues, and he was the fifteenth. Well, he was the number fifteen first baseman when we had that conversation. I think that's disappointing. <laughs> number fifteen at first baseman is still probably a must start in a twelve-team league. Uh, not if I not if I could help it, I guess, but I couldn't. <laughs> um, Cody Glover has not started throwing. Carlos Gomez sat with a back issue. Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson's out three to four weeks. Should we talk about Lonnie Chisenhall? He's having a nice year, just not playing that much. He was actually in the top 10 sleeper hitters for this week because the Indians had an eight-game schedule, and at least six of those games, I think, were supposed to be against right-handed pitchers. He he pretty much sits against every left-hander, yeah. but he's slugging like 650 and just a monster against right-handers. Definitely somebody uh, that you could—somebody who's worth picking up and dropping as the matchups dictate. Okay, Lonnie Chisenhall. Robert Gazelman's about to go on the DL with a hamstring injury. Andrew McCutcheon's batting third now, and he hit a game-tying double in the ninth inning. Blake Snell is going to start today against the Pirates. Starter sit Blake Snell. Against the Pirates? I'll sit him. I want to see. I don't trust him yet. It's just probably it's probably a better safe than sorry situation, but it, it wouldn't surprise me against the Pirates. He was good in the minors. He had like, you know, six innings, one run. 11 K's like pick him up now just in case that happens and Danny Duffy will make his second rehab start Thursday and Victor Martinez is going to come off the DL today and let's get back to the fun stuff uh and look uh it's a good time of year right whoever invented summer was obviously a sports fan they didn't even try to hide it they gave it playoff hockey playoff basketball the opening of both soccer and baseball, it's a clear display of favoritism, and the other seasons didn't stand a chance. So with three months of clutch playoff drama and the awakening of new seasons, it's clearly the work of a sports fan. Instead of summer, they may as well have called it sports season. In fact, at Buffalo Wild Wings, they do call it sports season. Don't ever call it summer. That's not what it is. It's sports season. They're just waiting on the legal change. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. 
Let's talk about, oh gosh, I'm so conflicted. I want to get through these pitchers first, all right? Fringy starting pitchers. And then we're going to talk strategy a little bit and kind of look at our seasons. Let's cut this list in half. Start with Dan Straley. So these are the guys who are more owned. Dan Straley, another, you know, good start. Not great, but good start. Aaron Nola, two really good starts in a row. For the first time this season, two straight quality starts for Aaron Nola. Uh, Mike Fires actually was pitching pretty well against Oakland. Gave up one run through five innings. Then he loaded the bases. Then he left. And then James Hoyt came in and gave up a grand slam to Ryan Healy. Uh, but one walk, seven strikeouts for Fires. So he continues a pretty good run. All uh, right. We're, we're not giving Mike Fires credit. For the bullpen blowing a lead against Oakland. All right. It's well, Mike Fires. Five, five innings. Those runs. Five innings, one run. He had a sub one whip. I'm not doing this Mike Fires. I mean, it was just. I refuse. It, it just sounded like uh, he was a victim of circumstance in this. His curveball's not spinning and he's never winning, guys. Come on. <laughs> I think he's a great choice right now. Straley, just, Nola, Fires. Hang on. I, Straley, hold on. I, I hang don't on. think Wait. Fires has figured something out and become somebody you can rely on all season, but we've <laughs> seen a couple times in his career he'll pull off this stretch of like a dozen right. starts where he's amazing because he's just spotting his pitches so well. Okay, so Straley, Nola, Fires, and Alex Cobb. These guys are owned in more than 80% of leagues, so you're not really getting them. But do you believe in them? Straley, Nola, Fires, and Cobb. I believe in Straley the most. I think he should probably be um, owned everywhere now. Good strikeout rate for him, too, this year. And um, continuing his, like, he's one of those guys that you can look at and say, well, the Babip's low. The Babip's always low. He's Marco yeah. Estrada. Extreme fly ball pitcher in a big park in a way that doesn't give up. Getting a, strikeouts a right now. I need runs. to give a split, though, for Dan Straley. He has a 231 ERA and four home runs at home. And he has a 4.93 ERA, seven home runs on the road. I definitely trust him more at home. Yeah, so just keep that in mind. But Dan Straley, Aaron Nola, Mike Fires, Alex Cobb. Scott, you said you trust Straley the most. Who else? Yes, I would trust Maeda, but it doesn't sound like the Dodgers are ready to trust in him entirely yet. They didn't. Dave Roberts said he wasn't sure if he was going to make another start. Obviously, Brandon McCarthy's taking his turn on the DL because they like to cycle every one of their pitchers through that 10-day thing so it's not clear if his next outing is going to be another like three inning bullpen appearance or if he's no he'll make another start he'll make at least one more start uh that's what i, mean, I read where are you getting i would this? say same, same, same place of me on same, all this rotation dude. same place uh AP I would recap. Say <laughs> of this group australian nola should probably be close to 100 percent owned um nola has much more upside than Straley. Uh, he's he's a pitcher that I really still can't figure out, but when he's on, he's clearly very good. Um, and he's been on the last two days, two starts. Um, fires, no. Like I, like Scott said, he goes through these stretches where he's really good and can be useful, but at the first sign of trouble, I'm getting rid of him. He he gives up too many homers. Uh, and Alex Cobb. Pitching really well lately could be the biggest beneficiary on the Rays staff of the Adani Hetcheveria trade. Uh, Hetcheveria made a couple of nice plays yesterday. Actually drove in two runs yesterday too, which is shocking. How many, uh, swinging strikes did, well, who had more, did Adani Hetcheveria have more RBIs than Alex Cobb swinging strikes yesterday? That's your trivia uh-huh. question. Yeah, I don't know about Cobb's performance yesterday because threw only three changeups. He had two swinging strikes. But he carried a no-hitter into the seventh. 
Yeah, three cha- the changeups his best pitch. He's been looking for it all year. Looks like he went back to it last start, and then he went away from it again in this start. So I I don't know. Maybe he just didn't need it. I mean, he pitched great. I yeah, and that's, I'm that, not a, I'm not entirely encouraged. Though. It's like a it's like a split change, right? And so that's something that uh you see a lot with pitchers who rely on their splitters is that just it's a feel pitch, and sometimes you don't have the feel for it. Kevin Gosman talked about it earlier in the season how. It's not a pitch that he likes to throw a lot early because he doesn't have the feel for it and he can develop blisters. So and he actually has been throwing it more lately. Uh, and, and Gosman. Okay, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, had one of his better starts yesterday. Still fell short of the quality start, but wow, somebody to keep an eye on. Very, guys, very small baby steps. You guys just reminded me. I totally forgot about that game. Uh, I didn't even look at the box score. Looking at it now. <laughs> Oh, Joe Biagini. We can drop Joe Biagini, right? Yes. Okay. Um, all right, so Scott, uh, do you have uh, an Uncle Charlie by any chance? No, okay. I do not. Because you threw us a big curveball earlier when you started talking about Kenta Maeda. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't part of the group. So let's go to the next group. Jeff Hoffman, Kenta Maeda, Tyson Ross, good start. Mike Clevenger, not not a bad pitcher, that Mike Clevenger. And Yolisha Seen, 183 ERA at home. Um, so Hoffman, oh, did I say Guerra? Hoffman, Junior Guerra, Kenta Maeda, Tyson Ross, Mike Clevenger, Yolisha Seen. Okay, so Ross's velocity is still down like two to three miles per hour. Very skeptical of that. Guerra's velocity is way down from last year, and he has like a one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio. I don't know why we're still bothering with him. Yeah, he's been bad. Um, Clevenger's, you know, kind of interesting in a low-end sort of way, but, um, he's in a different class, I think, from, like, the Maeda's and the Jeff Hoffman's, and, uh, that's... I think Tyson Ross... worth saying. Tyson Ross was really interesting yesterday because he just kind of just decided to just go full-out old man game. He threw (laughs) 57 sliders, uh, and it's the only pitch he got a swinging strike on yesterday. And I think that's a sign that he doesn't have the stuff yet. He doesn't yeah, have doesn't. the, he doesn't trust the fastball. He doesn't trust any of his secondary pitches. And, you know, I think it's something you can get away with doing. He does have a very good slider. That's something that, that runs in the Ross family. But, um, it doesn't give me a lot of hope for <laughs> sustainability. Jeff Hoffman's clearly the most interesting pitcher in he, this group. You start Jeff Hoffman on the road if you, you don't start him at home. He's been mostly at on yeah. the road so far, and he got crushed at home last time. But this was a two-start week for Hoffman, and they were both on the road. So we'll He's see what happens. a little John Grayish. We'll see what happens. He's got at Arizona this weekend. If you're in a daily league, you're going to trust Hoffman at Arizona. They're the team that crushed him in Coors Field last week. Um, I'd probably stay away, but it's not the worst idea. Okay. So what's worked? What hasn't worked for you guys this year? I specifically want to talk about your pitching strategies. And Chris, I want you to lead yeah. the way because you were very different than me and Scott, um, with pitching. And like I have two teams that I, that I could talk about in this conversation. And one of them is the 24 and 0 team, which will not be 24 and 0 after this week. We probably 24 and 2. Um, but best pitching that I have and, uh, invested in pitching and it worked. And then there's my Roto League. I think I'm in sixth place, something like that. Pretty close to like fourth place, but. Not having a great year, and I invested a lot in pitching in that league, 
And I invested in John Lester, who's been okay. I invested in Garrett Cole, who's been okay. I invested in Cole Hamels. And that kind of speaks to Chris's argument, like pitchers are, are fickle and tricky and if you get the right ones, it's great. I know, but like, I thought I thought I had the right ones, you know. So here's here's the and weird thing for me. My best league is the one where I invested in Justin Verlander, uh, Noah Syndergaard, and Danny Duff. So I had three of my top twenty three <laughs> or twenty four pitchers coming into the season, and I've pretty much gotten very little from those three. But my pitching is really good in that league because I've been able to pick up Drew Pomeranz, Sean Manaya, Jeff Samarja, Luis Severino. These are guys that I picked up. Those are all guys that I've got Jacob Faria on the, on the bench. So those are guys that I've been able to pick up on the waiver wire. And so, you know, the discussion a lot has turned to, well, you can find hitting on the waiver wire. Justin Smoke, Logan Morrison. And I, you can. Definitely. But I feel like we tend to write off the pitchers on the waiver wire who can be very helpful as well. Sure. But, but you have a lot of teams. So you, I'm assuming you use this no, you know, weight on pitching strategy in most leagues. Has it worked out for you? It's hit or miss. The ones where I've been successful are the ones where I've been the most active on waiver wire. And I oh, think that's, that's going to be true. For that's going to, that's going <laughs> like, to be true. That's, that's, a, that's a big part of playing fantasy right. sports. And that's the thing is that it, we talk about, well, this is the strategy to use. Look at my team. I invested in this guy, this yeah. guy, this guy, and it's worked out. Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on what starting point you're comfortable. Uh, the draft is always a starting point. Yeah. You're, you're putting together a foundation and a lot of your picks are going to miss. A lot of everybody's picks are going to miss. I actually looked at, uh, the, the top 40 hitters drafted this year. 18 of them have been busts or injured or, or something and about like the it. same rate for the top 40 pitchers. yeah i mean there are there are misses among pitchers and hitters i there there have been particularly recently with guys like chase anderson and zach uh godley um sean newcomb faria who you mentioned there have been a few more um quality fantasy options emerging on the waiver wire after we saw the early rush among hitters with guys like aaron judge and conforto and smoke etc Mm-hmm. I I still think, and and you know e- even the leagues where I've drafted some pitchers who have burned me, Rick Porcello, um, you know I drafted him in a bunch of leagues, Verlander in a couple leagues, Cindergard in a league, you know I've, I've I have some misses among the pitchers I spent on, but my hitting isn't struggling because there's just been such an abundance of it. And, and I feel like that's the state we're in in baseball right now where, yes, pitching is probably inherent, inherently a little riskier than hitting, but that's, it's not enough to make up for the disparity in depth between the two where, uh, outside of like 12 or 13 first round caliber hitters, there's a lot of interchangeability there. Yeah. I'm still on board with the, if I were going to do it again, I would probably put even more of a priority, priority on pitching. Scott, I think that's kind of what you were saying. Yeah, I think I'd even go further. I, I'm, you know, uh, things could change in the second half, of course. If, you know, maybe the baseball changes again, they go with a higher seam one and, and home runs go just, way down. But a, a big thing is just like, what if we just had a, a handful of guys who were, were just mirages? Like, well, what if just that's Smoke... what we were saying at the end of last year, right? And it's only gotten quote unquote worse. Right, but I'm talking like specifically like the guys who seem to ha- who have produced like superstars. 
the Justin Smoke, Logan Morrison, Yonder Alonzo, Justin Bohr kind of guys. I, I think in this offensive environment, there are always going to be a couple dozen player hitters who just completely catches by surprise like that. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think they've been superstars. I hate to like nitpick. I mean, they're all on pace for 40 plus home runs and 100 plus RBI, if, right? If you look at where they rank in fantasy standings, they're not superstars. But Smokes must start, clearly. Judge has been Judge, a yeah, monster. Has been. Judge looks like the MVP of the league, and he was less than 50% owned coming into the year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, for me, it, it's, maybe I would invest a little more in starting pitcher. I don't know, like, I, I still look at it, and I just, I can't get away from the inherent unreliability of starting pitchers, and investing in those guys and we can say that there's hitters who miss as well but yeah there is the hitters who miss to me seem a little more obvious well okay well chris let me let me just say so while i do get your point about starting pitching being unreliable Mm -hmm. what i think we don't talk about enough is that the reliable starting pitchers are so much better than the streaming starting pitchers Mm. I think anyway, and okay. The I ones, guess you, I guess the ones that are healthy and producing right now, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, this is a really bad year for pitching. I don't know that we'll see this again. Well, we were saying that last year, Adam. I that was guess the conversation around pitching but, last. Year. But look at how I mean. But even still, like the injuries and the Bumgarner injuries, like they're the top ten's been really bad. I but don't that know. That kind of stuff always happens. But I don't happens know to disagree. That's I mean, the thing with starting. I don't pitchers. know to disagree. It's not just their performance is unreliable. Although their performance is harder predict, harder to predict than hitter performance. Yeah, it's, but but they just, just get hurt. There's a bigger they, gap they get between hurt, but hitters and pitchers. I mean, you can, all the athletes get hurt. You know, sure, they're, but they're like playing you can play through their body to the limits. You can play through more minor injuries as a as a an, uh, as a position player than you can as a hitter. This may be technically true, but it it's it's small degrees where we actually like numbers of hip high end pitchers going down versus numbers of high end hitters going down. There's there's a lot of both. And I feel like it's, again, going back to my point about building a foundation that you feel like puts you in the best position to then make upgrades off the waiver wire as the season plays out. I think, I think as things stand right now, unless something dramatically changes in the second half, my plan is to draft one of the clear standouts among hitters in the first round, the Mike Trout, Anthony Rizzo, you know, Nolan Arenado types, and then probably go starting pitcher two, three, four, understanding that two, th- each of those picks, two, three, and four, probably aren't going to work out. But you know, if two of them do, yeah, I, just, I think I'm in a really good position. Yeah, I can't, I can't yeah. do that. Well, in a roto league, I don't think I'd do that, Scott, because I would. I think at this point, I would like to prioritize steals a little bit more. I think maybe I would just tweak it and say I'd like to get a steals guy in the first two rounds, and then maybe go pitcher in like three, four, five, or four, five, six, seven, or something like that. I don't know that I go quite as all in on pitching as you would. Um, but I, Which is I, why I didn't do enough with steals. It's killing. You know me. who's not really a bust this season? Who? Trey Turner. Not at all. Not like, anymore. He's got 32. Been steals disappointing. Now. He's only hitting like 280, but he's on a 75 steal pace now. I think that's another lesson to be learned. Is like we did this research with Jonathan VR. Uh, you know that he had what did he have 50 something steals last year? Yeah. And 
based on the research I had done, a guy who stole that many bases was pretty likely, unless he got injured, to steal 40 bases the following year. And I think he would if if he played, you know, I think he'd be on that pace over 162 games or like, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to get there because he's not going to play that many more games, I don't think, but, uh, and he just got hurt. But, um, you know, when a guy like Machado, you see the steals go up and down, whatever we don't know, uh, guys who steal 20 bases, Xander Bogart, like they could, they could go up and down, you don't know. But the guys like Trey Turner, the elite base stealers, they're going to get their steals. Yep. So that's just, that's kind of a different subject, but it's, we're talking about things we've learned this year. That was a pretty important takeaway for me. And uh, in a roto league, Scott, I think I'd have to try to get try to get some steals in the first couple rounds before I went after pitching. Unless it was well, it makes it difficult in a roto league as you start so many more hitters. Um, I was thinking more of a head-to-head context, both points and and categories, though. Sure, I Um, I think it also it's very different. I you Scott, you think in head-to-head more. I think like that's your default. Yes, and my default's very much roto. And so I think that's part of the – is I feel much more confident in my strategy in Roto. Yeah. But your strategy might be the better one in head-to-head for sure. I mean it, it still might Points. be three of my first six pitchers uh, picks or pitchers in Roto, even even knowing how many hitter spots I have to fill. And, and you know, when I say – when I'm, I'm referring to the hitter spots, traditional Roto, you start five outfielders, you start an extra middle infielder, extra corner infielder. So there's 14 position players to nine pitchers. You just go deeper into the hitter pool than you do in in either of the head-to-head formats. So I want to conclude with with this. I want to read you my pitching staff. And, I mean, you can tell me why I'm doing so freaking badly. But my pitching staff (laughs) um, in this Roto League. What format? 12-team Roto. Two-catcher auction league. A lot of hitters. Nine pitcher spots. Um. The only category, pitching category I'm doing well in is saves. I have Coda Glover currently on the deal. I have Edwin Diaz and Roberto Ozuna. But, uh, John Lester, Cole Hamels, Garrett Cole. I now have Alex Cobb, Jacob Faria. Oh, oh, okay. I should probably mention Marcus Stroman and Marco Estrada were the five pitchers that I spent the most on. So Hamels, Cole, Lester, Stroman, and Estrada. I have Alex Cobb, I have Jacob Faria, I have Sean Newcomb, I have Joe Ross on the bench. So I think I've done a good job. My pitching has been bad in that league, but I wouldn't be surprised if I go on a second half run. If Lester can like really start dominating, if Hamels can just be good, that's the one I'm most concerned about. If Cole can be a top 20-ish pitcher, like I think I might go on a second half run here and I'd be surprised, I'd be interested to see if this strategy works because I didn't invest that much in hitting. And I have arguably the best hitting in the in the league. Yeah. So because you accidentally put it together. Yeah. Not, so, not accidentally, but you put it together on the fly. What hitting? Yeah. Well, my 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 two highest players in this league, this is an auction league, were Blackman and Bryant. Uh, and then I spent, you know, I didn't spend on Kershaw, I didn't spend on Scherz or anyone like that. But I thought Lester, Hamels, and Cole would give me a great rotation, and I still think it's possible. So let's see how the second half plays out, but. I wouldn't be surprised if I structured this a team like that again. Um, and I'm just having a disappointing year. Stupid, stupid league. But anyway, I mean, and and the one thing that it's really important to avoid in this kind of uh, ex post facto analysis is like, well, Noah Syndergaard got hurt, so clearly drafting a pitcher like you can you can retrofit the data to make your point fit 
And it just, it, that's not good analysis. Like you have to have a process and it, basing it on one year, I think is just, it's, it's a waste. And you can, you can cherry pick anything you want and say, well, my team's working, so my process is working. And it's yeah. not necessarily the right Well, way. I'm saying my but team isn't working years. right now, but I still believe in my process. It's two years, right? It's a two Well, year. it's two years with the offensive explosion, but yeah. I'm talking about like the specific like no Cinder getting hurt. These pitchers got hurt, so the pitchers are unreliable. Like for me yeah. it's not so much that Noah Syndergaard and Madison Bumgarner got hurt, it's that pitchers have over time roughly a forty percent chance of going on the DL starting pitchers in any given season. And yeah. that number's only going up. Like last so year, that's a big part for me. Last year was an offensive explosion, right? But let me read you the top ten pitchers last year. Max Scherzer, Rick Porcello, that was obviously a surprise. Justin Verlander, Madison Bumgarner, John Lester, Johnny Cueto, Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, David Price. Then you get to Kyle Hendricks. I don't know, that was probably more than ten. But I mean those are the names. Those are the familiar names. Then you go back in time, you'll see well, a lot of that. How many of them have been top ten pitchers this year? Two? Three, uh, Scherzer, not, Kershaw, and Sale. But we could do the same exercise. Right, that, but that's what I'm saying is that when we look at, well, last year's top ten pitchers are guys that you know, and now those guys aren't. And so I, it's, I do think there is a clear distinction between the haves and have-nots at starting pitcher now where, uh, you know, it being a three true outcomes game where so many hitters are capable of hitting the ball out of the park and uh, and strikeouts are um, – are so plentiful. I mean, they, they either hit home, hit home runs, strikeouts, or walk. The the pitchers who miss a lot of bats and also pitch deep into games are not as plentiful. I, I mean, there's the pitchers who miss a lot of bats and pitch deep into games are so valuable relative to the ones who don't do either one of those things. Yeah. Don't do at least one of those two things. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. It's hard to get out, sorry. No problem. Uh we got a lot to get to that we won't get to today, so we'll save it for tomorrow. Hopefully we'll get to fun with fan graphs. It's actually a pretty interesting segment. Um grade the trade. Man, I apologize to the listeners. I hope that was an interesting discussion because I didn't get to grade the trade or the emails. So you know what? Let's uh let's do it. Grade the trade from John. Kemp and Corey Knable for Will Myers. Actually giving up Will Myers, getting Kemp and Knable in a sixteen team dynasty league. Well, those are tough in 16 teams. I will give that a, uh, a, a B minus. Okay. From Brian. Yeah, we haven't, what? Uh, let me, let me keep going, Chris. Sorry. From, sure. from Brian, uh, Carrasco and Braun for Kluber. Give up Carrasco and Braun for Kluber. Oh, C minus. C minus, yeah. C minus. I, I don't think it's crazy in some circumstances, but it's, it's a little worse than, uh, Kluber side. Jimmy from Canada, Dynasty League, head-to-head categories. Give up Benintendi in a Dynasty League. Get Price and Seeger. Hmm. I'd have to know how He says keeper... he has Sano and Moustakis a third, so I don't know how valuable Kyle Seeger is in that instance. It, I mean, at face value, it seems like a great deal. It seems like a... You know, a minus kind of deal, but I don't know if Benintendi's being kept for much cheaper than the other two. I'll go with a B. Okay. Uh, Mitch Connor, grade the trade, 14 team categories, two keepers for three years. Give up Nelson Cruz and Gene Segura. This is interesting. Give up Cruz and Segura. 
get Bellinger and Ian Desmond in a category league. Cruz and Segura for Bellinger and Desmond. The only way this one makes sense is if Bellinger is so much cheaper than Nelson Cruz, and I would assume he is. Um, but you're kind of hoping Cody Bellinger is Nelson Cruz for the next two years, right? Yeah, two years. Yeah. I think we all think Gene Segura is a lot better than Ian Desmond. Yeah, so Just you don't like because it? Because of the position he plays, yeah. So I, with what we know right now, I think it's probably a D, but if there's a giant gap between Nelson Cruz and Cody Bellinger's keeper value, then it obviously swings the other way. All right, this is Christian from St. Louis. Give up Paxton and Maben. Paxton and Maben. Get Chris Davis with a K. Oh, I, I, uh, I suspect this offer was made prior to last night's start for Paxton, which was a very encouraging one. It wouldn't have made sense even then, though, that this is, this might be an F. <laughs> uh, I think he needed power. The guy deleted that from the email, but. So he's getting Kyrus Davis for Paxton. Even then, power pa- should be easy to come by. Power is the easiest it. thing to come by. You're giving up the two hardest things to come by, start, starting pitching and stolen bases. All right, 12-team categories league. Ian Desmond is a bench player, so this is from Matthew from California. Give up Chris Bryant and Ian Desmond. Get Corey Kluber. Bryant and Desmond uh, for Kluber. I don't know why D you'd plus. have to give up Desmond with Bryant. That seems... Like, Bryant for Kluber straight up is probably close to a C. I, I could see in this, you know, environment giving that an even C. But you throw Desmond in, I didn't think you lose this. It's it's a D plus, like Chris said. Dan in Toronto, uh, rebuilding Keeper League. Give up Goldschmidt, get Miguel Sano, and either Nick Senzel or Brendan Rogers, and a first-round pick at next year's draft. Give up Goldschmidt. Yeah, I- Go ahead. I don't know how to rate prospects without knowing the full, full all the rules of the league. I mean, it looks it trading Goldschmidt. I feel like you need more than prospects in return in most dynasty leagues, but like I, I just I don't know the economics of this league, so it's hard to say. It, it looks it looks bad at face value. All right, then Brandon gives up Nelson Cruz, gets David Price. Wants to know if Price will be a, an ace again. Brandon, greatest trade: Cruz for Price. Uh, I think that's a D. David Price is too risky. Nelson Cruz is too much of a sure thing. I'll give it a C. I need the pitching more in most cases. All righty. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, listeners. And my apologies for not getting to more stuff. Uh, last thing I want to say is that Carlos Martinez is awesome. He was supposed to uh, be pitching the contact more this season. That was the preseason report. <laughs> and he is striking out everybody. And I think he's a top eight pitcher. So how about that? Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow here on Fantasy Baseball Today.